Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Glad you came today. It is a beautiful Lord's Day that we have been blessed with. Amen? Amen. And it's made better for me that you've chosen to be here this morning. Uh, what a great and glorious day it is. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. We have a copy of God's Word. Uh, uh, Gospel of John chapter 1. I'll spend a little time with you. Uh, if the Lord is good, uh, I'm going to be nice to you this morning. And if the Lord is good, I may I may preach a short sermon this morning. So uh, I kind of pressured myself up right there a little bit. Uh, I just want you to know, church, that it has been a great honor for me to have been with you these last several months. Uh, during the time that the Lord has given me here, I've learned to love you. I've learned to love this church. It is a great church. And I am convinced that the best days of this church are the days that lie ahead, not those that you've already lived through. I really believe that your best days are ahead. Let me just encourage you or challenge you this morning that as you move forward, always make room for guests. And remember, they are guests, not visitors. Make room for guests. Make physical space for them. Uh, if a guest should come in and sit in your pew, go somewhere else and sit down. Uh, make room for guests emotionally and spiritually. Make room for guests. God has been so good these last several weeks uh, to bring guests uh, we've had uh, young families visiting at this church, uh, uh, many of them, for the last several weeks. Praise God for that. Make room for them. Uh, another uh, encouragement I would give you, not only do you need to make room for guests, but let me encourage you to let kids be kids when they come to church. Uh, don't, don't get after them because they're running around and chasing each other and making too much noise. That's what kids do. And I know for a long time in Southern Baptist churches, kids were made to sit still and be quiet, and they were miserable in church. And that, that's the reason when they got older, they quit coming. They were miserable when they were young. So just let them run and, 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 and make noise. They're kids. It's okay. It, it's okay. It really is okay. Yeah. Uh, remember, heaven's going to be a noisy place, so it's okay for church to be noisy and for kids to enjoy themselves when they come to church. And the third thing I'm going to tell you, and you think, man, Joe, this is a short sermon. No, I hadn't even got to my sermon yet. These, these, these little things are just, just extras, no charge. Uh, make room for guests. Let kids be kids. The third thing I'm going to tell you is embrace change. Embrace it. Uh, em it please embrace it. I will always... I look back on my days here as one of those spiritual markers that God puts in our lives. Uh, when this day is over and I go get in my truck and, and head south, I, I will leave here with a tinge of sadness in my heart, but a smile on my face that God allowed me to hang out with First Baptist Enid these many months that I have been here. Um, I, wanna, I want today to just leave you with some words about your next pastor. And no, I do not know who he is. Uh, I do know that your search team has received over 100 resumes. Is that not crazy? And you're probably wondering, is that normal? No, I don't think so. Not these days. So why would you get over 100 resumes? I think... I think there are two or three things at work. One of those things that would probably cause you to get that many resumes 
is it's just hard to be a pastor these days. Pastors have really hard jobs these days. And we have a lot of pastors that, that are just struggling in the church that they're in. And sometimes we pastors get to thinking, if we just move to another church, it's going to be better. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. It's just hard to be a pastor. I think another reason that this church would receive that many resumes is because Enid is a great community. Uh, you're not part of the Metroplex, but you've got stuff in Enid. You can go out and eat and and enjoy yourself in Enid. So I think I think as men look for churches to pastor, that your community would be a great draw to them. And probably the number one reason that you would receive over 100 resumes from men wanting to come be your pastor is they would have an opportunity to follow me. And men that follow me turn out to be great preachers. And, and you'll think, man, we put up with Joe for all those months and listen to this guy preach. And so that, that'll be my gift to you. It will, uh, my being here will make you appreciate the next guy that's coming. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Where we're going to spend some time this morning. I want to pray for you, read two or three verses to you, and then what I want to what I want to do is spend our time this morning just talking about your next pastor. I want you to think about it with me, biblically and scripturally. I want you to think about this with me this morning. Can we do it? Let's pray. Father, it is a good and great day you've given us, a glorious gift a day that we can enjoy as we gather in this house to worship and to sing and to fellowship and to think and and to wrestle, Father, with the truth that you've given us. Father, I thank you for the words that we are about to read uh, from your word. God, would you remind us that it is your word and that it's inerrant and infallible, that it is complete, that it is sufficient. God, that you have chosen to preserve this word for us in the exact way that we have it so that we can have it today in the way that you would want us to have it. And God, that you have, you have something to say to us from these words this morning. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for her testimony in this community for all these many years. I thank you, Father, for the, for the best days being ahead. Father, I continue to pray for the man that you have selected to come and be pastor here. And I pray, God, that as the search team uh, begins that 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 journey in earnest of looking specifically for that one man, God, that you would lead them quickly to him, that they would know and that he would know and his family would know and this church would know that he is the man that you have selected and you have prepared to come and lead this church. God, I pray even today, wherever he is, that there be that, that uh, notion in his heart that he's about to move. And he's about to come and do a good work among your people here in this great church. Father, help us today. In the blessed name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. John chapter 1. We're going to pick up the story and we'll pick it up in verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. There was a man sent from God. If you haven't underlined that statement in your scripture, you ought to. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but 
came to bear witness about the light. I would suggest to you, friends, that in those verses, there's a lot of truth about your next pastor. And again, I don't know who he is. I don't think you know who he is. I don't know that the search team knows who he is, but he's coming. And this verse, particularly verse 6, and these verses that follow tell us a lot about him. In fact, the first thing that we read in 1 John, or not 1 John, John chapter 1, verse 6, is that your next pastor is a man. That would be a good place for an amen, Southern Baptist, that your next pastor is a man. And listen, I'm not, not trying to be controversial about this. I know that there are some other tribes that have females that are pastors, and that's their business, not mine. But my business this morning is to tell you that your next pastor will be a man. That's a good place for an amen. Some of you seem a little shocked by that. I, don't, I guess you were looking for a woman to come and be your pastor. I got news for you. The scripture doesn't permit that. Again, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not trying to cause trouble. I'm not trying to get something stirred up before I leave. I just want you to know that the Bible is clear that the pastor of the church is supposed to be a male. You said, Joe, how do you know that? That's a good question. If I'm going to make that kind of statement, we ought to have some scripture behind it, right? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 is quite clear. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, it's the qualifications of, of, of the elder, of the episkopos, what we would call the pastor of the church. And it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that he is to be the husband of one wife. The husband and one wife, and, and I want you to know that, that when 1 Timothy 3, 2 uses the word husband and uses the word wife, that those are very gender-specific statements, that your, your pastor is to be a husband, of a, a man, a husband and one wife. He is to be a, a one-woman man. You say, well, Joe, that, that's, just what, that's just what 1 Timothy 3, 2 says. Is that all you got? No, I've got another one for you. How about... How about Titus chapter 1, verse 6? You see, the Bible's clear that the way God has organized the local church is that the pastor of the church is to be a man. It doesn't mean that women don't have pastoral responsibilities. There are a lot of women who pastor Sunday school classes a lot better than men pastor churches. All I'm saying is that the man who stands on the platform as the pastor of the church is supposed to be a male. Y'all are really quiet. I thought that would be the easy part of what I was going to tell you. Yeah, but no, no let, me, let me tell you this. Does that mean that the pastor has to be married? No, I don't think so. But if he is married, he used to be a one-woman man. He used to be the husband of one wife, right? And we could talk a lot about what that means. But I'm glad it's not the husband of two or three wives because I can't hardly deal with the one I got. Right? The husband of one wife. And I'll tell her that if I want her to know that. But now that I've mentioned her, let me, let me also say this to you. That when your pastor comes, if he's a married man, here's something really important to you, church. Don't expect any more out of his wife than you would expect out of any other lady that goes to church here. Don't, 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 be, don't be piling a bunch of stuff on her and having a bunch of expectations for her just because she's the pastor's wife. Because she's the pastor's wife, she ought to come to church here. <laughs> She really ought to come to church here? Yeah. Y'all are not listening to me this morning, are you? That's, 
I mean, this is really good stuff. You're not going to get this anywhere else. Yeah, she ought to come to church. She ought to find her ministry in this church, and she ought to be engaged in it. And that's what you ought to, ought to expect out of every lady who attends this church. So your pastor needs to be a man. If he's married to one woman man, his wife needs to be honored and respected, but no more expectations from her than any other woman in church. Right? That means she doesn't have to play the piano. Doesn't, it means she doesn't have to sing. She may not even, might not even not like working in the nursery, God forbid. Some of you ladies don't either, right? Just let her be the wife of her husband. Let her worship God when she, as she comes to church here. And let her find her minister area and serve the Lord in that. So, a man. <laughs> there is a man. Your pastor's going to be a man. Let me, let, me, let me tell you some characteristics of your next pastor. You, you probably want to jot these down, and it will prove how prophetic I am when he comes. You ready? Here's the first characteristic I'm going to give you of your next pastor. You ready? Here it comes. He will be imperfect. He will be imperfect. You know, what do you mean by that, Joe? Here's what I mean. He's going to do dumb stuff. He's going to make mistakes. And what I'm going to challenge you today, church, to do is give him room to be imperfect. And how do you do that? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, right? Your, your pastor is not going to be perfect. He's human. You're not perfect. He's not going to be perfect. Let him be imperfect. And when he does dumb stuff, just cover that with love. When he messes up, just cover that with love. So he's going to be imperfect. Here's the second characteristic of your next pastor. There will be a, a, a point in his time here, maybe multiple points in his time here. He will always be imperfect, but there will be multiple points in his time with you that he will be discouraged. Because, because at the end of the day, and I don't know how to tell you this without sounding like whining. I'm not whining. I just want you to know the truth. Being a pastor is really hard work. It has always been really hard. But this pandemic has made it almost impossible. Our pastors are struggling today. They can't make a decision in their church without offending about half the crowd. If we're talking about the, the pandemic, they can't, they can't say, well, we need to wear masks because they've got anti-maskers in the church. If they, if they don't want people to wear masks and the folks that think they ought to wear a mask are mad, we've got the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. We've, we've got trouble in the church because there's trouble in the culture and we're forcing our pastors to make no-win decisions that are alienating people from their pastor. It's just hard to be a pastor. Hard. So there will be days that he will be discouraged. And, 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 and when, that, when that happens, you, you, just, you just gotta, you gotta be an encourager to him. You know, the reality of that, I told you, I told you a while ago when I, when I told you that the, the pastor's gonna be imperfect, I, I told you that he could do dumb stuff. I told you that, Right? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me build on that a little bit. Churches do dumb stuff too. So churches are not, they're not, they're not immune from that. Churches can do dumb stuff. Churches can be stubborn. 
And so when you, when, when you discover that your pastor is, is discouraged, when you, when you discover that he's got his head down a little bit and his heart's hurting a little bit, be an encourager to him. And you guys are good at that. You have encouraged me for the many months that I have been with you. You are an encouraging church. Just make sure that you are an encourager when your new pastor gets here because he's going to be imperfect. And there's going to be trouble and there's going to be difficulties and he's going to be forced to make decisions. He'll get discouraged being encourager to him. So he's imperfect. Sometimes he will be discouraged. Here's a third one. Sometimes he'll be uncertain. Sometimes he'll be uncertain. And what I mean by that is that there will be times that he will not be sure about what needs to happen next. There will be times when he'll not be sure not be sure about where to lead the church next there will be turmoil in his heart and his spirit as he tries to determine what to do next where to lead the church next he will be uncertain at times and can i just encourage you church that when you find your pastor uncertain about the next step that you not push on him but that you love on him you come alongside of him and walk with him and encourage him that God's going to tell him what the next step is and what the next direction is. And we're going to be patient, Pastor. We're going to walk with you and we're going to wait with you until God tells you and then we're going to go with you. So he's going to be imperfect. He's going to be discouraged. He's going to be uncertain. Here's an interesting one for you. There will be times that he will be disconnected. And it's really a weird thing. John knows this. It's really a weird thing. Pastors are always around people, always. But a lot of the times they are disconnected from the people that they are around. And that's the reason that being a pastor is lonely business. And sometimes it's business that isolates you. And when pastors get isolated, they become easy targets. So you've got to watch for this one. You, you, you've got to watch. And, and, and when, you, when you discover that your, your pastor's getting disconnected, and invite him over to your house. Uh, take him out to dinner and you pay. Amen. Yeah, you buy his dinner. Yeah. Uh, arrange, if he has children, small children, arrange for somebody to watch the kids and let the pastor and his wife have a, have a date night. Let them, let them get out. And if you're going to go with them, don't, when, when you're at dinner with them, don't talk about church with them. Get, give the pastor some freedom not to talk about church, right? You say, well, Joe, what are we going to talk about? You can talk about your favorite beer for all I care. I, okay, that was a joke. How about you talk about your favorite cigars? That'll be, no, that won't work either. How about you talk about your favorite football game? That, that, might, that, might, be, that might work. But, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes when, when pastor's disconnected, really the last thing that he wants to talk about is the church. What he needs is, is, is somebody to come alongside of him and just, just talk about stuff, about, about life, but not necessarily about the church. Um, pastors live with the weight of the church 24 hours a day and they don't want to go to dinner with you and, and, and hear about the complaints or the problems or the potential issues. Sometimes they just want to go to dinner with you 
and have lunch with, or have dinner with you. Okay? Y'all good? All right. What time is it? I'm going to have to hurry if we get out early. Here's, here's another characteristic. He's a man, remember? There will be times that he will be unaware. And you say, well, Joe, why is that? Because he's a man, after all. You women that are married to men know that sometimes your man is just unaware. Right? He, he, he just unaware. And pastors get that way. He, he might say or do something outlandish and have no idea what he said or did. He'll, he'll twist somebody smooth off and with no intent on doing that, twist them off and they'll be twisted off and everybody will know they're twisted off and the pastor will have no idea that he was responsible for any of that. Give him some grace. There will be other times that he might be silent when he should have said something helpful. You see, the pastor can just sometimes be oblivious. Forgive him for that. Pat him on the head and move on. Give him a chance to be a man. But he's more than a man, isn't he? That's what we read about John the baptizer in John chapter 1. He's a man with all the baggage, but he's more than a man. He's a man from God. You see it? Yeah, you don't want a pastor that has not been called by God to pastor the church. You don't want a man who's just looking for a job or looking for a golden parachute or looking for a place to land. You want a man who's been called of God. You want a man who's been called to First Baptist Enid by God. Let me, let me talk about that a little bit. You need a man from God, and, and because he is from God, that means that he'll be a lover. He'll be a lover of God, of his family, of, of, of the church, of the lost world. You remember, you, remember, you remember the story after the resurrection of Jesus? Jesus is on the shore making the, building the fire and cooking the fish. You remember? It's at, the, it's, in, it's at the end of John's gospel. You should go look. Peter has gone fishing. He, he's out on the boat with his buddies. Jesus has built this charcoal fire. Don't ever miss that detail because it was over a charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus has some fish cooking on the fire. You remember? Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore because he's Peter. Everybody else just gets the boat to shore and gets off of the boat. Not Peter. He jumps out and swims to the bank. And he and Jesus engage in this most interesting conversation. Jesus asks Peter three different times, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, what we miss in the English is that Jesus uses different words. The first time that Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Jesus said, do you have agape love for me? Do you have a God love for me? Peter's answer was, Lord, I have a phileo love, a brotherly love for you. The second time Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you have this agape love for me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I have this phileo love for you. And the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you really have this phileo love for me, this brotherly love for me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. 
Now, Jesus didn't lessen the requirement of love. But what happens there is it was impossible for Peter to love Jesus with this agape love because the Holy Spirit was not living in Peter at that moment. That didn't happen until Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came to indwell people. It was at that moment that Peter was able to have an agape love for Jesus. Up until that time, the most love that Peter could have generated on his own was phileo, loving Jesus as a brother. But now in Acts 2, he can love him with this agape love, right? Listen, when your pastor comes, he needs to be a lover. This agape love toward the father, this agape love toward his wife and toward his children, this agape love toward the church, this agape love toward the lost world. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you really love me like a brother? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Your pastor needs to be a lover. Here's the second thing I know. Not only does he need to be a lover, he needs to be a learner. A learner. He needs to know the Word of God because he studies the Word of God. And listen, your pastor needs to know that the Word of God is inerrant that it is infallible, that it is complete. In other words, that there's not going to be some other book discovered in the Middle East that adds to the Bible. It ain't going to happen because the the canon is complete. The the Bible is complete. We've got all the Bible that we're ever going to have. And you say, well, Joe, what happens if if they dig up some scroll in the Middle East and and, and, and it's found to be actually from Peter or Paul? What are we going to do about that? Let me tell you what we're going to do about that. We're going to do absolutely nothing because if we found a new scroll today, it could say and wouldn't say anything other than what we already have. Right? It can't change this because if it changes this, then we've got real problems in River City. So your pastor needs to be one who knows the Word of God. That he understands that it is without error. that, That he understands that it is complete. That he understands that it is sufficient. So he needs to know the Word of God. Here's the second thing I'm going to tell you. As a learner, he needs to understand the way of God. He needs to know the Word of God, but he also needs to understand the way of God. And what I mean by that is it's one thing to know what the Bible says. In fact, lost people can tell you what the Bible says. Lost people can read it and know the facts of it. But what I'm telling you is not only should your next pastor know the Word of God, he needs to understand the way of God. And here's what I mean by that. He needs to be able to take the Word of God and show you the direction from the Word of God about how you are to live life and about how he is to live life. So he is to know the Word of God. He is to understand the, understand the, the way of God. Here's the third thing. He needs to, as a learner, he needs to submit to the will of God. To the will of God. And here's what I mean by that. There's no place for arrogance in a pastor. And here's why that's true. Submission is always the base character of a Christian. Submission. Submission to God. Submit to one another. Submission. 
So the next, your next pastor needs to be, he needs to be a lover. He needs to be a learner. Here's the third one to give you. He needs to be a liver. And I'm not talking about a body organ. He needs to be a liver, right? Used to be a guy in First Baptist Marlowe's name was Harry Calloway. What a guy he was. But he would say that he came from a family of long livers. Some of you will get that later and it will be absolutely hilarious. Yeah, long livers, he said. Well, when I talk about liver, I'm not talking about a part of your body. I'm talking about one who lives the gospel out. I, I was having a, a, a conversation with a young man who's in his first pastorate. I love to talk to those guys. They're kind of kids, but they're really not kids. And I was having a great conversation with him. And he'd come from kind of the larger city. He was in a small Oklahoma town. And I got to be careful or I'm going to tell you who he is. And, 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 and he said, Joe, wh- what do I need to know? And I said, here's one thing you need to know. As long as you're in this little town that you're in, wherever you are in that town, people are going to watch you. They're going to be watching. They're going to be watching how you treat the, the, the car hop at Sonic. They're going to be watching how you treat the, the cashier at the convenience store. They're going to be watching how you treat... The, the, the people at the grocery store, they're always going to be watching you. So you've got to make sure that you're always living out the gospel. And I, honestly, there's some men that just aren't equipped to do that. But I'm going to tell you, for me, it was, it was a great benefit for me because, because I knew that any time uh, that I was in Marlowe, people were watching me, and it caused me to be very careful about how I lived. See, your pastor needs to live out the gospel in the community of Enid. People in Enid will watch him. And they're watching to see him mess up. But they're going to watch him. So you need a pastor who will live out the gospel. Here's another set of things for you. He needs to be called. He needs to be called. He needs to be willing to go where God says go. He needs to be committed. He needs to be a leader. He needs to lead the church. And friends, the church needs to follow him. Y'all can amen that. You need to follow your pastor. If he says this, I prayed about this, I found it in the scripture, here's what I want to tell you, here's where I think we're headed, you need to be willing to say to him, Pastor, lead on, I'm, I'm with you. Lead on, pastor, let's go. Lead on, pastor, let's get that done. Lead on, pastor, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Now listen, that your pastor can't be a leader until he's a follower first. That's the reason the first one I gave you is that he needs to be called. He needs to, he needs to, to, to go where God says go, but he needs to be committed as a leader. And the reality is, if, 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 unless what he's leading you into is immoral or illegal, then follow him. And I'm a little shaky on the immoral part of that. Don't, don't get too hooked. That's a joke. But just know, y- y'all are a tough crowd today. Oh, you actually won last night. I don't know if y'all realize that or not. It wasn't pretty, but they won. So y'all lighten up a little bit. You see, it, it, unless the pastor is leading you to do something against the scripture, then follow him. Follow him. That's the way this thing works. He's an under-shepherd. He's supposed to shepherd the flock. Shepherds lead. Sheep follow. Here's here's the next one. 
He needs to be compassionate. In other words, he needs to be your pastor. He'll he'll want to care for you. Let him. But make sure he knows what's going on in your life. If you're in crisis, don't sit at home and think, well, somehow pastor's going to find out that I'm in crisis and he'll call me. Don't do that to him. If you're in crisis, you call him. You call him and say, Pastor, I'm in a crisis. Pastor will come to your help. He'll come to your aid. He'll come, he'll come to where you are. But don't think he has some kind of weird ability to sit in his office and think, oh, I have somebody in crisis. I've got, I've got to go. I've got... He's not going to do that. And sometimes church members unintentionally set their pastor up. They're in crisis. They don't tell pastor. Pastor doesn't come minister to them. Well, I don't like pastor anymore because he doesn't even care about me. Yes, he cares about you for goodness sake. He didn't know. He didn't know. So you've got to be sure that you let him know what's going on in your life. And if it's a crisis, he'll come to you. He'll pray for you. But you've got to let him know about that. The Bible says, about John the baptizer, that he was not the light. Neither will your pastor be. You don't need a prima donna with a God complex to be your pastor. You need a guy with some humility, with some understanding of the word of God, with a love for people. And as we discover about John the baptizer, You need a pastor who will be a witness to the light. Not the light, but the witness to the light. This pastoring business is hard. But there's no greater joy in the life of a called pastor than just pastoring his church. Let him be your pastor. I can't wait to find out who your next pastor is going to be. I can't wait to have a conversation with him. And I surely hope the search team will recommend that he call me and get my opinion of First Baptist Angel. Because I'm going to tell you, over these last few months, I have developed an opinion about First Baptist Angel. And you've developed an opinion about me. That's just how it plays out. I will look forward to talking to him and encouraging him. And some of you are a little bit worried about what I'm going to say to him. Well, that's legit. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a true story. When First Baptist Marlowe found the man that followed me to be pastor of that church, uh, before the church knew who he was, the search team suggested that Jordy, that's his name, call me and have a phone conversation with me as he was trying to make up his decision about whether he was going to come to First Baptist Marlow. And Jordy didn't know me. I didn't know Jordy. But I was told that he was probably going to call me, and he did. And boy, I was honored that he called me. And he said, I just kind of need to to hear your heart and and to kind of know what to expect out of you. I said, you know what, Jordy, that's fair. And Jordy, I'm going to tell you three things that you'll need to know about me. If you come to be pastor at First Baptist Marlowe, here are three things that you better know about me. 
He didn't know me from Adam. And you could hear a little hesitancy in his voice. He said, okay, what, what are they? I said, here's number one. My wife will be in church at First Baptist Marlowe every Sunday. Here's number two. Every time I get paid, she'll bring a tithe check to the church. Here's number three. I won't ever be there. Jordy said, I think it's okay if you guys stay in the church. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty smart for a young guy. Yeah. And the cool thing is, Jordy and I have become uh, great friends. I wouldn't have it any other way. So when the pastor that's going to come serve here calls me, I have really good things to tell him about the great people of First Baptist Enid. You've got an incredible search team put together. Gee, Willikers, they've been working hard. And I think next month they're going to begin to really narrow that search to get to the man. Yeah. That's, that ought to be exciting. Yeah. One person. One person was excited. The rest of you ought to be excited about that. You're going to get a new pastor, right? Y'all need, need to work on facial expressions before the next pastor gets here. Y'all can cover up excitement about as well as any group of people I've ever seen in my life. You've got to get a new pastor. He's going to be great. It's going to be good. The church is going to prosper. Great things, cool things are going to happen. He's going to be a man, which means he's imperfect, but he's going to be from God, which means he's called. You guys get in there behind him and help him and go with him and watch what God does at First Baptist Enoch. <laughs> that's all I got <laughs> that is it thank you for letting me come these several months and serve as your transitional pastor um, it has been a great joy and next weekend when it comes time for me to have driven up here I will miss the fact that I'm not driving up here to be with you if there's ever anything I can do to help you in any way, all you got to do is let me know. When your new pastor gets here, if there's anything in the world I can do to help him, you let me know. Whatever it is, I would be honored to do it. So here's how I think we're going to end today. Um, we have some folks in this service that are part of the search team. They've got a big job. Y'all set them aside to do important work. And so what I'm going to do is ask uh, those of you that are on the search team, if you just stand to your feet for a moment, will you do that? Will you, will you own that for me? Yeah, look at there. Some of you may have to come to uh, 1030 church or this won't work in 1030 church. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, those of you that can, would, would you just move around a little bit and get to one of these four people and uh, lay your hands on them in a biblical way, which means you're nice about it. Yeah, yeah. Not around the throat. <laughs> Not a smack in the forehead. Yeah, there you go. And we're going we're gonna to spend a moment or two uh, to just pray uh, for these folks and this incredible journey 
that they're going to be on.